Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland here again with Philip Sipe today. And today we're going to go a little bit of a lighter direction. I want to talk about our hobbies. Um, more ex specifically to the course of the show, I want to talk about the worth of hobbies uh, and, and kind of... Uh, the, you know, the general, like, a, a number of things around hobbies, like something, there's a number of things that I think we often kind of structure wrong in our definitions of masculinity around hobbies. Some of those is the idea of some hobbies being childish or less masculine, and then some of the ideas there, too, are uh, issues around monetizing hobbies, um, Especially, like, right now is, like, folks have really pinned down how to monetize gaming. I see a lot of folks monetizing their hobbies in a way that ends up being toxic and kind of hurtful to them. Um, but to begin things off, right off the bat, uh, let's just go over kind of what our hobbies are. Uh, Philip, do you want to go first? Uh, so I am a big nerd when it comes to hobbies uh all the classics can be found here uh i like video games um but uh my true love is of course tabletop role-playing games particularly dungeons and dragons um which has then subsequently got me into a handful of other you know uh tangentially related hobbies like uh miniature painting uh various like crafts and stuff um some degree of like uh game design and and all that stuff so um tabletop games uh video games and those are my my big ones yeah so my hobbies uh are a about, little bit are a little bit kind of wide ranging but um yeah, primarily kind of begins with uh, cars. I really like cars, worked on cars ever since I was a kid, uh, growing up with a ridiculous number of old junk cars that I've fixed up, ruined, and then gotten rid of, and then found new junk to ruin further and then get rid of. Um, I also have a really extensive Lego hobby. I build things out of Legos, and I've collected Legos ever since I was too young to play with Legos. Um, uh, I watch movies, uh, I used to make short films, uh, and I do photography and, uh, kind of a number of little avenues that that takes me down, which photography and videography kind of bridge a gap of like, whether it's a hobby or a side job thing that I kind of do on the side, but it sometimes it still classifies as a hobby. Um, but that'll bring me down here shortly. I want to really talk a lot about like kind of the that difference between a side job and a hobby. Uh, one thing I really want to talk about, and, and as always, like Philip, you bring kind of the uh, studies and information to this. But uh, there, in 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 college, I studied psychology. I wanted to be uh, in in the research end of psychology, and then decided that the research end of psychology was a um, clusterfuck, and I wanted nothing to do with it. But before I realized that, what I really wanted to study was the worth of hobbies. Um, and part of that was because I was constantly told, like, I, I, I think part of this comes from, like, uh, being from the working class. 
I was constantly told growing up that hobbies of any form was a waste of time. Anything that you weren't able to make money doing was a waste of time. Uh, and if you found something that you enjoyed doing, monetize it immediately. Find a way to make it make money. Otherwise, don't do it. And this lended itself to a lot of problematic criticism of certain things. You know, criticisms of playing video games. Oh, you're playing video games all day. That's, like, not acceptable. You're, uh, you know, playing basketball all day. That's not acceptable. You're just wrenching on cars all night. That's not acceptable. Like, certain people just had beef with anybody having a hobby. And there isn't a lot of hard studies into this, but there are a few studies. Um, the one that I have immediately in front of me... Um, is, uh, for whatever reason, I can't find the date right now, uh, from 2009, um, from the, what is the publisher here that I am looking at, uh, from Psychosom Med, um, and it's the Association of Enjoyable Leisure Activities with Psychological and Physical Well-Being. Uh, this kind of dives into essentially... Find, uh, of, of discussing the associate the very unsurprising association of doing things you like doing voluntarily with psychological and physiological well-being so if you enjoy living life you tend to have better psychological and physio physiological markers like uh they they find in in this study uh like uh, better cortisol lever levels, blood pressure, uh, psychosocial states, uh, just a number of different things improved by participants in these studies spending more of their time doing things they like doing voluntarily. Which I think doesn't shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, but... It's something that we have to actively tell, especially like coming from the working class, from like you know, kind of a low income background. We have to tell ourselves this because we, you know, we our our culture often tells us that doing anything uh, voluntarily that isn't um, a job is a waste of time. But living life isn't a waste of time, so. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, I think, to note here that uh, uh, the voluntary, I think, is often uh, uh, the voluntary part of that is often overlooked. Uh, you know, I think it's a um, it's an interesting insight in that, like, you know, uh, there's a big goal to um, to make everything that you do your job, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like the things that you really love. Cause like the idea is like, you know, you hear it all the time. Like if you do something that you love or something you have fun with, you don't ever work a day in your life, even if you're at work, you know, but that's, you know, the voluntary aspect of that shows that it's, that may not entirely be true. And, you know, it can be that once a thing becomes work becomes a thing that you have to do or, you know, die or lose your house or, you know, pay, not pay your bills or whatever, that suddenly um, it ruins it, you know? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, this is 
really where we get into the weeds of like and this is why like i don't think it's a bad thing to monetize your hobbies but i think you have to be very careful when monetizing your hobbies that you're not creating a hobby to be involuntary because once you reach a certain level of like oh okay this is my income now now you can never stop doing that thing and that thing is going to become much less fulfilling to do if you're never allowed to stop doing the thing and 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 i think i even mentioned this uh in, in maybe another episode of our podcast that uh like there's a life blogger that my wife follows who i there was an episode um that i was watching of this life blogger where god she just seemed miserable and and this, like, she had started off several years ago doing this YouTube life blogging kind of thing and really enjoyed it, and it was something that she found enjoyable, and, and it was enjoyable to watch. It felt very, uh, like, you know, kind of, like, something you could kind of connect to as an audience of, like, hey, this person lives a life similar to mine, and it's enjoyable to watch. And I see this through a lot of, like, other vloggers that I watch who are, like, automotive vloggers and things like this. They start off feeling very, very relatable, and then, of course, they start making money, and then they quickly become not relatable because they've made a certain amount of money through doing this thing and then they all so then they start petering out in ability to generate more money because they're no longer relatable but at the same time they're stuck into a point and like she was talking about how she has to create new uh content every single week because she's contractually obligated at this point to do it because she has sponsors who are makeup sponsors and product sponsors and things like this that are saying, hey, this is cool life blogging you're doing. Uh, you know, we, we need you to do X amount of this every month and we give you X amount of dollars. So now she's like cornered into doing this to putting her life on display every single week and really needs a vacation, but there is literally no way she can ever take a vacation from this without losing an entire income and an entire like way of life uh and and, and you see that when you know, outside of even life vlogging but you know into automotive stuff uh, into any like really just pick any kind of hobby that people have monetized that's something that you some that you end up eventually kind of finding along that monetization stream as they reach a point where they don't want to keep doing the thing but that's their income now, so they have to keep doing it. And that nobody wants to watch, like, especially because a lot of this stuff is based on content generation. Content that you're forced to make isn't as good of content, so it stops generating as much money anyways, and it's like this just spiraling, terrible cycle. Um, and, and I see this with, like, photographers and videographers that I knew who got into this because they loved doing it, had a passion for doing it, and then it, it burned out because that's what, you know, doing something enough to make it profitable enough to live on in our society it can burn you out and it's it's just something i think you have to be careful about anytime you try to monetize a hobby yeah for sure i mean and that right there is kind of the like i mean you know really um showing my cards here when it comes to politics of course but like this is where i have um the struggle with like the whole mode of like capitalism and our ability to live and survive being dependent on our ability to work because of exactly that um you get some pretty ugly traps like that that like honestly if if like like life blogger right it, if the, if we had the sort of safety net for everyone that 
that if all of her contracts blew up because um, she didn't want to, you know, because she wanted to take a vacation, she'd be like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. And people can come to me and say, we want to advertise or we want to make this, you know, collaboration or whatever. And then everything is, you know, voluntary. Um, I'm a big fan of like voluntary association, um, probably stemming from my uh, history as, uh, you know, being very much a libertarian for a long time. But, but I find that like a lot of times systemic uh, coercion goes overlooked. And this is a, like, like the whole hobby, like monetization space is a great example of that. It's like you add the coercive uh, force of um, do this or you don't pay your bills anymore and your life falls apart. Uh, and suddenly um, things start to suck no matter how much you enjoyed do th doing them before. A hundred percent. And this is, I think, and, and I think it's something important also to mention is that this coercive nature exists in hobbies, even outside of monetized spaces. This is something I see a lot in another hobby of mine, which is writing. I, I enjoy writing and I enjoy reading things other people have written. I enjoy writing short stories. And I find in a lot of online spaces, there's a lot of online spaces for like free story submission stuff. And they there are a lot of independent and uh new writers who get into that kind of as a hobby uh, i think they also kind of hope that it's going to like grow their skills they're going to have an audience and then from there they'll be able to maybe grow on to something where they're able to monetize it but they really just get trapped into this loop and in this and i should say too this happens beyond writing this happens in a number of other hobbies especially in photography on the internet um, because you're a content generator anytime you're generating content and putting it on the internet you're creating profit for somebody and in these cases like in these online submission or like free submission platforms where you're submitting this to a website they're posting it on their website and then other people are reading it commenting on it and talking about it um somebody's making money off of that that that's how that website exists like that cost that website costs money to maintain its maintenance is being paid for by profit that is being made off of all of these submissions so a lot of these spaces then also incorporate elements that coerce you into doing this involuntarily. I see, pe I, I see people in all of these kind of hobbies who are exhausted and tired of doing the thing and are annoyed with um, either the kind of online uh, feedback they're getting or the level of online feedback they're getting and feeling kind of burned out and done with a thing that they're not even getting paid to do. And... I, I think sometimes it's important to recognize that there are instances in like this where you're generating profit. You are functioning within capitalism and creating profit for somebody, being exploited by somebody, even though you think it's just for fun and you're not getting paid. Uh, I, I say this as we're making podcasts that we don't directly get paid for, and this is something very common in podcasting. Uh, I'm, I've been guilty of it. Like I get really, I've gotten frustrated before making podcasts, and. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a common element of it. Yeah, uh, well, and the reason I think that we continue to do this is, you know, for example, because we enjoy it, because, you know, we had the conversation before we even began of, like, let's not do this because we think we'll be, you know, millionaires or whatever. Uh, 
beyond the statistical likelihood of that being extremely small, like, uh, it's just not like, if that's your motivation, like every episode that doesn't go viral is a failure, you know, and it's just a giant ball of frustration. Whereas like, if we're doing this to like have interesting conversations, explore topics, you know, work on ourselves, um, you know, at the end of the day, if, uh, no one listens to this ever, and uh, it never goes anywhere beyond us just having a few conversations. Like we've we've still gotten something out of it. We still enjoyed it. And like, I think if I ever lost that, I would seriously reconsider wanting to do this. A hundred percent. And and I think that dives us right into kind of a, um, you know, that that element of talking about how we can how we can do this stuff in a productive way for ourselves. Um, so like. As I mentioned, a longtime hobby of mine is Legos. I really like building uh, what's called MOCs in the Lego world, my own creations, the, just inventing my own kind of like things out of Lego. And I also do photography. I have for quite a while done like miniature photography with various Lego things, often in a way just kind of displaying things that I've designed. Um, and so recently I kind of decided like, Hey, I think I'm going to put together a photo book, like, uh, you know, like, um, what, okay. So what actually kind of got me into the idea of this is like, as a kid, I was obsessed with the eyewitness books that you would buy or that you would find in like the library and buying like book fair stuff that it was the, the white books that it would be like, maybe there would be one on like ancient Egypt and it would be all of these different photographs of things that were relevant to Egypt and with little descriptions by them and just talking about them. And it was like discovering the world eyewitness style and like looking at things. I, I was obsessed with these. It was like a mixture between a nonfiction uh, book and um, like a photo book. And so anyways, this is something I've decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and self-publish this. I'm going to put together this thing of a book of, of Lego sets that I've put together. And with, like, descriptions of them and talking about them and stuff like that. And now this is a hobby of mine, and that is something, when you're talking about self-publishing a book, you're getting really dangerously into just straight up, that's just labor, that's not a hobby territory. And um, so it's something I've had to process really carefully of, like, okay, so what is this for me? And so one of the things that I've came, like, I've came to the decision on this is that the value in it for me is... That if I put this together, it's a way to, you know, first of all, all of these sets that I put together, they, you know, after I take photos of them, they get disassembled and they never exist again. This is a way to kind of immortalize that to myself. Like, hey, I can go back through this thing. I'm going to buy, you know, if I self-publish these, I'm going to have one at least of for myself. And it's just kind of a cool thing to have around and to think about. And I can use it in my own, like, kind of headspace in this hobby. It's also something that I'm really, I would be really excited to be able to like hand down to my kids because, you know, like all of us, we kind of hope that our kids have some of the same hobbies as us. And I love the idea of being like, hey, here's a book that I published of things that I built when I was, I don't know, well, like, you know, like, yeah, when I did this thing. Uh, so that's something I think those two things give me an immense amount of value out of this. So this is why I'm going to do it. If it starts generating income, if I start making residuals off of this, that is purely a bonus, purely a positive thing that got slapped onto it. If I never make a dime off of this, am I going to feel like I wasted my time doing it? And that's the same thing as this pod, you know, is, yeah, this podcast and anything else in the kind of, I would say, in the monetizing of a hobby space is if you can feel like you wasted your time doing it, if you didn't make a dime, it wasn't a hobby. It wasn't 
Yeah, it's just a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, if I go to uh, work and I don't make a dollar while I'm at work, I'm going to feel like, well, that was bullshit and I wasted my time. That, to me, is the difference between a hobby is and, 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 and involuntary labor. Like, I can imagine, like, you know, that feeling scaling up into a thing that essentially becomes, like, your only source of income, right? Like, where, um, you know, you get to a point where, like, you've made a decent enough living that you've got like a fallback, like you have um, enough money and savings or whatever that like, if this whole thing fell apart, you'd be totally fine. And you're not worried about that. You're not worried about making your bills or whatever. Um, and then it becomes a, you know, even, even if you're suddenly at the head of a multi-million dollar company that's, you know, producing content for your hobby or whatever, uh, it's still, if you, you know, are in the right position, could have a, um, the attitude of like, I don't care if it all falls apart, like, um, like I, I'll be okay. Like I still enjoy doing this type of thing, but, um, it's, it's gotta be pretty difficult and you have to be like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty extreme position of privilege, you know, to be able to like do that. Um, it is, it is. And it's, you know, I don't tend to, um, I, I never try to idolize elements of capitalism, but I will admit to having a certain amount of respect when with certain content creators and, um, creative minds who have entered creative spaces, monetized creative spaces and like made their money and got the fuck out of town like um you know this is something you see a lot of in the music industry is there's certain musicians who pop up out of nowhere because like like you know let's take and lil nas x hasn't done this and i don't think he will he's going to be around a while and that's cool he, he's awesome but we've seen artists like him where he was like you know something wild to me is to think about the fact that in 2018 he was a senior in high school he worked in an arby's like he was just some dude and um, he got, you know, he, he went viral on Snapchat. Um, he, like, he went into an Atlanta studio um, and, 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 like, on their, like, $20 Tuesdays, was able to record um, uh, uh, Old Town Road. Like, that's how Old Town Road got recorded. He bought the beat. Like, the beat was from a beat producer online, uh, and then he went into the studio on $20 Tuesdays, uh, got an hour of recording time, recorded it, and blew up on Snapchat on, on uh, Snapchat, on TikTok, and now he's who he is. And you see artists who, you know, because, like, success in the music industry is, like, 90% luck. Like, most of the time, there's a huge degree of luck that's involved in this. There are, and this isn't to say that the people who get lucky aren't talented. It's to say that anybody who spent any amount of time in the music industry has found that there are uncountable numbers of musicians out there who are incredibly talented who will never have their lucky day and they're never going to become famous that's just how it is um and, and when you see like certain artists who do manage to have something pop up reach the top of the charts and go crazy make them several million dollars and then they're like cool all right we succeeded we're out never gonna see us again um I kind of have an element of respect for that because it takes an element of understanding that the system is there and is going to exploit you the longer you remain within it and just making your money and getting the fuck out of town before a town can crush you. Yeah, for sure. 
um, I, I kind of feel the same way. Um, and it's always a hard thing because like people like that, like their art always feels so um, authentic. And uh, it's always sad to see them go. But at the same time, it's one of those things that like, uh, uh, I have the same feeling when it comes to like TV shows that like end, like they have a story to tell, they come, they tell it, they reach the end and it's over. Um, I have a lot of respect for that. I love those. They have a their place in my heart. And there's that like sort of bittersweet longing of like, I want so much for there to be three more seasons of this. But also I recognize like there's a part of me that goes, yeah, but if there were three more seasons of it, those three seasons would suck. And then it would be yet another example of a series that ground itself into the ground, trying to, you know, maximize how much money they were making off of a thing, uh, Game of Thrones. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it, like I, I think that I, I have a similar sort of uh, attitude when it comes to to these sort of things. So, sort of changing direction, uh, because I think both of us have um, some hobbies that kind of fall into a territory that others like to throw shade on, right? So, like, I play with children's toys as part of a hobby, um, Lego being Legos, um, and you do D&D and tabletop gaming, and that often gets a certain negative connotation. And, uh, and a lot of that is often, I think, wrapped up in toxic masculinity, right? Like, if you're a real masculine man, your hobbies include building cars, building engines, building muscle, and nothing else. And um, that's a problem, and I, I don't even know how to unpack that necessarily in folks who hold on to that. Yeah, well, so it's interesting. The... Uh, at some level, uh, I think like there's a sort of um, representation <laughs> of hobbies in uh, popular culture um, thing going on, uh, where um, like D and D, for example, right? Uh, that was very much a um, you know, uh, greasy nerds playing in their mom's basement who have no social skills, which is like the weirdest, like if you've ever played D&D &D, is, has always been some of the strangest stereotypes. It's like, you're saying that it's a bunch of nerds and no social skills in a game that is literally about getting a bunch of friends in a room, like five of, five of your close friends where we're all going to pretend to be be someone else and not laugh and make fun of each other and like tell a story together like that's nerds with no social skills okay sure uh but like that was the stereotype right and there's a lot of like um a lot of like stupid stuff around that right and uh a lot of um a lot of people will get really self-conscious about that kind of thing um about the perception of it um and what i always try to do is you know go like draw parallels right uh what's like find a thing that is a commonly accepted thing um because like fundamentally 
Um, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to that in just a second. But fundamentally, I want to point out that there is like all of what's like normal, like what's, what's an acceptable thing for someone to do, you know, is uh, like, like sports, for example, is a, is a hobby that a lot of people have. And like, if you get into like the fantasy football type stuff, like, and the statistical analysis stuff that goes into that, that is some like nerdy ass shit. Like, like, like that is equally as nerdy and math heavy and uh, getting into like all kinds of like random niche things as like any character build for Dungeons and Dragons. And like, is, but that's just normal, right? Like that's not weird and nerdy. That's fancy football. It's fine. You know, you're imagining like what would be the coolest sports team of all the best players, right? And like, that's made up. Like the fact that that's normal, the fact that fantasy football is normal and D&D is weird is completely made up. Like there is nothing about those things that, is written in the universe as like this is normal human behavior and this is weird uh human behavior it's entirely made up so like with knowing that you can then turn around and go like like i just did you take a normal thing that is uh, you know sort of overlooked you know by society at large uh, as far as commentary on it goes and you draw the obvious parallels like i did you know fantasy football is nerdy you're doing math and you're playing pretend like as if like this is a real team that exists and you're pretending like it actually got to play a game based on individual metrics of players and stuff like that never actually happened and you're deciding who had the best fantasy team based on a bunch of mathematical models how is that different than like deciding who has the best adventuring party based on the mathematical rules of a board game it's not it's like it's a bunch of rules and models that are made up so that you can have fun imagining what a fantasy of some kind would be whether that fantasy is slaying a dragon or having the coolest football team of all time like they're both fantasies and they're both lived out by agreeing to rules ahead of time and playing by those rules and seeing what the outcome is based on a thing that you don't have control over either the result of actual football games or um dice rolls you know like you can draw these parallels and like once you lay it out it's like oh okay anyone who's making fun of me about playing DD but totally accepts fantasy football they just don't know what they're talking about they're just ignorant like they have just accepted whatever society at large has said like this is normal and like their brain has not evaluated that at all and so like that's how you give yourself permission to me is you you just look at it honestly draw those honest parallels and then you realize yeah everything humans do is weird and made up and nothing about it is like inherently normal or inherently weird it's just stuff people do and 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 try to use that as a springboard to let go of all the random bullshit that society has tried to attach to uh, one activity over another i agree completely that was a great way of putting that point and i mean like you've caused me to kind of like i'm processing over 
fuck, the reason I don't really particularly like Ma Magic the Gathering. I'm just now realizing really why. I, um, you know, because even outside of even fantasy sports, even in the real world of sports, like, I, for a time as a teenager, like, kind of started to get into baseball. Like, baseball is the only real sport I've ever, like, team sport I've really enjoyed doing. Um, I liked the doing of it. I sort of liked watching it. I then really disliked stat statistics. I didn't like, you know, as <laughs> you can't not like statistics and be a baseball fan very easily because, like... <laughs> It's baseball. Everyone's going to inundate you with statistics and you have to know all those statistics or else you're not a real baseball fan. And it was just like too much. And I'm like, nah, this I'm lost in the weeds. This isn't for me anymore. And then when I was in college, uh, had friends who played Magic the Gathering and like we were drinking and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll play with you. I like card games. And then I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. Like there's a storytelling aspect to this. I, I enjoy the doing of this. And then they inundated me with, like, all the background knowledge and information I needed to have in order to play this game. And I'm just like, whoa, I am lost in the weeds now. I'm not enjoying this anymore. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like there's a, there's a parallel with that. And, yeah, both of the, like, uh, okay, so you can argue that, well, one's just, like, a card game. The other one is just throwing a ball to a guy with a bat like i mean it 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 it. these are both uh they're both hobbies they're both fictional like in the sense that we created them as human beings and that's cool like that's not denigrating of baseball it's not denigrating of fantasy football it's just the reality of these things are hobbies that humans do and this is one of the things that like is really cool about, okay and now i'm now i'm gonna rant now i'm gonna get into one of the things that is intrinsic to my point, like my point of view on all of this, is all of this. Baseball, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, photography, action, like regular, like painted art, um, pottery, all of this stuff is part of the human experience, telling stories. All of this is super important and intrinsic to who we are. And when we denigrate that as, like, just a nothing, like, as, like, not something worth spending our time on um, unless it profits us, we are removing a huge chunk of the human experience from us. And it's something that is... I, I think it's I, I think it's growing out of our society right now, but I've definitely seen, like you know I think over the past fifty years it grew into our society, and it's really been over the past ten that it swung backwards, and that is a removal of all of this from our society. Like a lot of folks that I knew in college, um, a lot of folks from like I I don't know really how the right right way to say this. I feel like from like from the class strata right above me, like, you know, whenever I met college friends who were from, like, that social economic class that was just right above me, like, I would say middle middle class to upper middle class, um, they were devoid of hobbies, <laughs> devoid of the things that brought life interesting, like, because anything, because it was that hustle and grind culture. It was that, 
when I say upper middle class, that isn't really fair. It, it was, yeah, middle class, like middle class America, like that. When you just get out of the working class and you think you got a little bit and so you got to get a bunch more, right? That point where you're where you're at yeah it was just this that's where this like hustle and grind culture i felt like it took over everything and so anything that anybody would grab onto as a hobby nah you gotta hustle and grind that you gotta make that into making money and it just removes all the point of life out of living yeah for sure i uh um have always yeah like from a very young age i always felt this idea of like having your choice constrained removes joy out of stuff and uh i have definitely felt that in 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 my own hobbies uh as well um yeah i i think there is definitely an element where like the wealth aspect comes into play where um you know some people get in their head that like money is um um score for life you know what i mean uh and that is never a good place to be to me you're um it's just uh it leads to like this sort of like hoarding and like um a kind of like attitude in which like um you just flame yourself out <laughs> and burn up until you're gone and oftentimes like uh like the fetishization of like the hustle and grind type stuff um there's there's value to hustling to grinding to working hard like that's all valid and is evident in the fact that like people do hobbies they work and like in the sense of like expending lots of effort uh and and develop lots of technical highly technical difficult skills uh for free <laughs> uh and, but there is value to being able to do things that you don't don't want to do as well um and because there are there are times in your life that you have things that you need to do and don't want to do them clean your house uh you know take care of your sick kids or whatever um but the fetishization the fetishization of that is one that leads to people just finding a way to do that to prove that they're good to prove that they're valid to prove that they deserve to exist or whatever and ends up having this really sad effect of like people who give themselves up to this idea of hustle and grind without ever considering what am i doing this for because 99% of the time the people that are hustling and grinding the hardest if you think about what's the outcome of their effort producing it's money for someone else or even if it's money for them a lot of the people who make tons and tons of money like have all this money and then they just sit on it like they don't do they just work more and it's almost kind of sad 
there's like a college humor video of like the Oreo CEO who like comes into a meeting and is like announcing all these new Oreo variants. And he's like, why? Why are you guys doing this? And they're like, well, people worked really hard to make these new variants. He's like, stop, stop working. We made Oreo. Oreo is the perfect cookie. Just go home and be with your families. We can all just sit at home and do nothing. And everyone will keep buying Oreos because they're amazing. And like, uh, it really put a, a, a certain spin on it. That was, that's, it's very funny. You should go watch the video. Um, there's a lot of great jokes and uh, the, the actor who plays it is one of my favorite. Brennan Lee Mulligan is hilarious. Great dungeon master as well. Um, but uh, yeah, man, he, or, the 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 dedication to just work as an idea is one that is like incredibly convenient for the people that profit from that work <laughs> and i think that you always have to take these ideas especially ones that are very popular and uh you have to take them one step further and ask why ask who benefits why should i do this because if you don't, you end up in a spot space like the people you describe are, where like you've given your entire life to a thing that you don't even know what it is because you've just been told that the only thing that actually matters is that you've worked hard. It doesn't matter what it's for. It, it's how we get talked into doing bullshit jobs, which uh, and bullshit jobs I'm, I'm referencing um, – the essay by um i'm gonna butcher his name because i don't remember right now i want to say daniel david Reuber. um I, I'm, I'm googling it right now as i talk but um yeah that that's it's kind of like a, a lot of that mentality i uh, david graber great right great i i'm up i'm not good at pronouncing names um he's an anthropologist he wrote uh, this in 2018 it's um kind of a yeah it's, it's a book and a theory that kind of postures that um a great deal of work done in america is bullshit jobs it's things that nobody needs done your whole purpose in work is to and in often cases just to provide somebody for your boss to manage because certain like people at a certain class level just need people to manage in order to then therefore look like they perform a function so we have like you know whole structures of our society that are just there for nonsense reasons like you know it's it, it, people who exist at companies just there so that somebody else has somebody to manage and so then they're only there to manage people who don't need to be there and that's Part of how the system convinces us to do that is with hustle and grind culture. Doesn't matter what you're doing, just keep doing it. And, uh, you know, and I mean, like, and we all participate in that to a certain degree. Like, I've gotten a lot of, like, you know, some, from, from some specific friends and acquaintances, gotten, like, criticism about accepting and turning down certain jobs and other jobs. And sometimes that's, oh, I'm like, well, that job just doesn't look like, I'm, I, I don't know what, I'd be, what I would even be doing doing that. That just seems like bullshit. And they're like, it doesn't matter if it's bullshit, it pays well. Uh, it's like, well, yeah, it does matter. Like, I don't want to spend my entire day doing something that doesn't matter. Um... 
and and that's and that's not a criticism of somebody trapped in a bullshit job like oh you're not bad because you're there doing things that don't matter there's there's lots of people who in fact enjoy being in these types of jobs because it gives them the ability to oftentimes actually even while at work do things that are hobbies or side gigs for them like I, I I've known authors who had one of these bullshit jobs where their entire job was to send like a single email every day and they were like look this job sucks I hate everything about it but I spend most of my time while I'm on the clock writing my books and it gives me this is the only way I would have the time and ability to be able to do this is by having a bullshit job that is kind of a shitty job but like hey it gives me the time to work on what I need what I actually want to do and it's a really dystopian element of our society that this exists so prevalently but yeah it's like well okay I get that uh and no no shade on the people that you know do that or whatever uh but it's kind of like but but can you just like have free time instead <laughs> you know like why why is it gotta be like that yeah and when one of the you know and of course in a grander scheme of things one of the really uh frustrating things about this is that it we have an enormous amount of human capital in the united states that is locked up in this system where we could maybe potentially fix problems like the climate crisis, housing crisis, financial crisis, economic crisis, the, the crisis that is America in 2021. Maybe we could potentially fix that if we unlock this massive amount of human potential of people who are doing, who have, you know, because most of these jobs are often degree-held jobs. This is one of the, like, kind of, you know, like, in many cases, sometimes these people are in companies just purely because they have it. They they need they want X number of people with X degree employed by this company. Um, these people are just held up in a system, doing nothing for the greater of humankind. Um, a con you know, these are people who would be brilliant and capable at helping solve many of the problems that we face, but they don't have time, which is also a part of the purpose of the system is there you know because people will organize if i mean we saw this in 2020 one of the things that a lot of folks have uh i think very correctly stated about like the protests that broke out in the summer of 2020 was that a lot of that was capable because people weren't at work uh everybody like you know we were in lockdown and all of these various elements that had people free in the middle of the day to be able to do things and so people organized and people got angry and people uh did some things that had been needing to be done for a long time and that's one of the reasons why the system exists to keep people uh 40 hours a week otherwise occupied so that they don't get any uh smart ideas yeah <laughs> uh that uh i i agree i think that like you know there are there is an element to um to it all that 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 begs the question of like you know i believe that that the ability to work hard in certain contexts at at the very minimum is very important you know the ability to like you you don't want someone signing up to be a parent that's a big hard work job <laughs> Yeah, who is not committed to doing that, you know, uh, that's how you get abusive parents and stuff. But the, the flip side of that is that, you know, 
you end up with all these you, you end up with this assumption that like works good and so therefore anything that work is needed for is justified but that's not true that's not how that logic works um there are plenty of things that are good but don't all are not always self-justifying so like you have to ask the question why is it that people have to work to live um obviously in a sort of back to nature sense if no one worked we wouldn't have the stuff that we need to survive so work is necessary a certain amount of work is necessary but it's very obvious especially in the era of like super high, hyper advanced automation that like efficiency and productivity continues to rise and yet there's never a point where like fewer people are in the workforce like it's not like we make enough food for the entire world to eat a hearty meal every day but there are people that starve in the United States. <laughs> that indicates that there's something wrong to me. And like, I think that this is part of that answer. Part of the answer is to like, well, why is that? Because we have this idea in our heads that like um, anyone who isn't working is lazy anyone who doesn't want to do any job any given job is lazy we can see this in the narratives about labor shortages like all these restaurants that you can find on the internet posting signs about how like sorry we're short-staffed because like no one wants to work anymore and it's like well no no one wants to work at your restaurant because you keep paying people two dollars an hour plus tips and demanding they work 60 hours a week and yelling at them when they're two minutes late and allowing customers to verbally abuse them like your working conditions are garbage that's why no one wants to work for you because i can tell you right now i know of plenty of industries that are uh actually experiencing a difficult uh a difficulty in finding people and the pressure on them is to compete with each other and like and, and improve the conditions or raise the pay at the very least, you know, is uh, seeing this in the software development industry right now quite a bit. And so like, there, there's this, um, you know, uh, th this, this sort of idea serves to, to be a fun functionally get people into a space where, um, you know, there's some really awful job with terrible working conditions that's going to be like mentally draining, not great pay, whatever. And they go like, I don't want that. And the cultural response says, oh, well, you're lazy. It's like, well, no, no, I'm willing to do work. I'm willing to work hard. I just like, this sucks. And it's like, but you don't have a job right now. And it's like, well, why should someone need to have a job all the time? You know, and no one answers that because uh, in, in a sufficient way, you get bullshit answers like, well, you know, if we if no one worked, then well, it's like no one's saying if no one worked. No one's saying everyone should be able to do this all the time. Right. But th that's not a problem. 
<laughs> right now we are not in a universe where our biggest problem is no one wants to work. No one has the will to do anything. If, if, if me growing up watching the explosion of YouTube has taught me anything, it's people will do an astronomical amount of work for absolutely nothing <laughs> because they want to. Yes. So like the problem is not that people won't work. That's not been a problem. In fact, it's, it's, if, as far as I can tell in history, it's never been a problem. The, so this is a fabricated narrative that someone made up for some reason because it's never been true. And it's rather convenient that this serves a particular group of people, people who own businesses and need to pay people less money to make more of their own. A hundred percent. I agree. I mean, um, yeah. And I, I think that last bit kind of hits on an important element of like, you know, hobbies and hobbies and labor and that kind of intertwining space in between. Um, and it's part of that. I think really comes like part of our kind of cultural disagreement on that often comes from a disagreement between an idea of two base levels of human operation. And, and, and this is something where like, I I've got a strong bias in as like um, more of a, like a non-dogmatic anarchist. Um, there is a older, like a, a kind of traditional idea that at base level without authority, directing people on what they should do people will be lazy and will do nothing and will stagnate into dust and on the other end with without authority with uh, telling people and dictating to people what they need to do people will actively and intentionally seek out productive things that they can do because people have an intrinsic need to be productive and I think everybody on both ends of this has a hard time has has a hard time struggling struggling to see how the other side sees it that way, um, and and so I can't I clearly can't argue for for the for the side of of of, of authority is necessary or else everybody goes lazy. I, I can't argue for that because I don't understand that I don't see that. Um, on the other side, what I do see is that like you know so many elements of our system and of my culture, my society, and the, you know the people I grew up around is so based around that. Like there was often like in a, I, I I grew up in a lot of times in an extremely rural area where there was very little authority over people. People often were able to kind of live their own lives. Um, and people actively and enthusiastically engaged in productive measures. And in fact, some pe people who were not able to find ways to be productive, that was the source of a lot of mental health issues. Um, we see this with, you know, like the, the one of the big issues in our society right now is the fact that there are so many boomers out there and they do not want to retire. Now, they had the best economic chance most folks had in America. A lot of these folks are economically able to retire. Now, a lot aren't, but the issue that I most commonly encounter in the workplace isn't economic capability of boomer, of, of boomer generations to retire. It's productive desire to. It's, I want to be productive. I still have productive years left in me. I want to do something. I don't want to just go home and not do anything. I want to be important to the society and the fabric around me. And I cannot shake a firmly held belief through my own life experiences that that is the human base level. 
the human base level is that you want to be productive you want to be um useful to your community you want to aid and you want to be of benefit to your community um so yeah that that's that's my take on this and i mean like yeah so, you know, that, well, that's I, part of what hobbies are doing <laughs> I, I i completely agree and i think that like there's a sense in which like like both both of the things that you've expressed the tension between authority and and um necessity um you know because there are like there is a sort of tyranny of nature right like if you eschew all all the things we've built as as humans right and are just an animal in nature like nature as the laws of physics like will demand that you do certain things you have to get up you have to go hunt or forage or something to to live either that or you die right and presumably uh you want to avoid that so like there's a certain tyranny a source of authority of nature now we we've worked ourselves to the point of getting uh at least not entirely but like you know it's gotten rid of a bunch of nature's you know authority over us um via all kinds of systems of production but there is a a tension in that fundamentally uh there are things that we as a group of people have to do that people don't want to do like they're just not pleasant things to do it's not pleasant to um i don't know uh clean up vomit after someone's gotten sick like no one is like that's what i live to do like that's great i enjoy that that's fantastic like so so someone needs to be motivated to do those things right so like i i get the the where it's coming from in the sense of like you can identify some of those things and go like hey, uh, you know, if we just let people always do only the things that they want to do, there are some things that we need to get done that won't get done because no one will volunteer for them. And you, there, are, there are arguments to, to be made about whether, you know, how true that is. I think there's a, there's a degree to which, like, that's not entirely reflective of exactly how it works. But I, I, I sympathize with the idea that, like, we need certain things to be done that it will be at least difficult to get enough people to do um and sure so like you can say authority comes into play there but authority doesn't have to be like do it or i or you starve to death or i shoot you or whatever it can be like hey we all recognize this job sucks we've all used authority to collect you know pass that you know sort of has pass the hat around as it will we're going to give so anyone who does this extra money or extra something, you know, some sort of extra benefit, or alternatively, you can say, we're all going to pass this around. Everyone's got to do it. You know, if everyone's got to do it, you only got to do it once a year. It's not that bad at that point. Like you do it once sucks, but you're done with it. It's like jury duty or whatever, you know, like, uh, and that's not that bad. Like, uh, so like, I, I, I understand where that's coming from. And I've realized we've kind of gotten a little far 
upfield from from hobbies here but like i think they're related in the sense that like hobbies are a, a really clear example of how the desire and and motivation to work is not tied to your like being um coerced into doing it right all the hobbies that i do involve a degree of work right it is not like all fun and games in the sense of like like when i'm dungeon mastering i have to sit down and like carefully design an encounter i enjoy doing that it's something i enjoy doing but it's it is a kind of work i have to like carefully think about like a big complex system and and operate in that but it, it's something that takes a lot of mental effort but it's not something i describe as work because it's fun because i enjoy doing it because i've chosen to do it i'm not being coerced right yeah uh, so the, the problem isn't whether or not people are willing to do things that require effort. The problem is, you know, if, if there is a problem here, the only problem is getting people to do the things that they don't want to do. How do we properly incentivize that? How can we maybe distribute the difficultness? Like there, there are solutions to these problems, but like I, I do not find it compelling, a compelling argument, or I have yet to find a compelling argument that, um, the 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 valid answer is we should make sure everyone starves who doesn't work constantly yeah i mean my one of my hobbies is automotive uh working on cars i just painted my project car uh it was a month of sanding a extremely large metal object it fucking sucked it was a lot of labor my hands hurt everything hurt it cost me a fair amount of money, um, like, you know, in, in material to do the thing. I had to do a lot of learning to learn how to properly do the thing. And then once I sprayed it, then I had to wet sand it some more. And I had to do a whole lot of learning on how to wet sand. Uh, there was a couple of dry runs and, like, practices on other items. It This was a month of labor. Um, but I was motivated to do it by something that wasn't the threat of homelessness. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are ways to motivate people to do things that you don't want them to do without threatening their life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, this is something we'll definitely be able to revisit in the fatherhood episode because uh, you can't threaten your children's life. That's illegal. <laughs> and yet somehow parents manage to motivate their children. Uh, yes. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. I, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say like, I think I think hobbies are a great um, a great example of of this kind of um, of tension. I agree completely. I'm glad we had this conversation. I think we dove down into a lot of uh, you know, even though we started this of like, hey, today is going to be a very light subject. We dove down a lot of very not light subjects, but that's kind of the point. That's what makes this fun and worth doing. Um, um, organizations to uh uh to to plug for um i'm just gonna throw the first thing that came to my head even though they have never i, I like i don't know these like i 
organization I know of but don't know super well, but hey, they do good work. Uh, the Southwest Missouri Solidarity Network uh, does a lot of amazing stuff. If you're in Southwest Missouri, um, look them up. That is the Southwest Missouri Solidarity Network. They're on Facebook. I think they're on Twitter. Uh, they do a lot of cool stuff uh, if you want to get involved in your community. There's a path you can go to. Um, if you do not live in the southwest Missouri uh, area, I would almost promise something very much like that or like Red Dirt Collective, which is our organization. Um, th there's organizations wherever you are of local community members organizing and doing some amazing stuff and having these kind of conversations. Like, I mean, we, uh, me and Philip, we do probably twice a week well on my end probably twice a week you probably seven times a week um meet and do exactly this kind of stuff we have these kind of conversations and then do important and major actual work in the community uh that stuff exists wherever you are i i mean we're in uh central oklahoma and it's here i promise wherever you are it probably is there too and if it isn't make it be there um, anything you'd like to add yeah. before we leave? Well, I mean, uh, I'll say like, you know, uh, I, seven times a week is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but <laughs> uh, I certainly do it often. Uh, and, but I mean, sometimes like it's literally just fun. Like, you know, uh, we have social events that are just like board game nights. We have a, a Red Dirt Collective Dungeons and Dragons group that I started. Um, it, you know, they're, uh, a lot of these community organizations have places for you to plug in that do not require you to be like, today I am going to go and uh, canvas for, uh, you know, political candidate or, you know, do something like, you know, do a lot of like hard gardening labor or whatever. Like if you're not sure, like if you're feeling like, oh, I don't really know if I want to go time to do a bunch of hard work with a bunch of strangers, like a lot of these commu communities you know, look for their social events or their fun stuff, where you can go and do something that you enjoy, get to know some people, get your feet wet. You can hear about what they're doing from the people on the ground, really understand what it's like, really understand what they'd be asking of you. And I can almost guarantee you it's way less than uh, you probably have think that it is. Um, these are, I, I like to hope that we've built an organization that, you know, doesn't, um, that, that people enjoy being a part of. And uh, it's, um, I've, I think that a lot of the, a lot of your local organizations uh, have the same sort of goal. And if they don't, you could start one. Yep. And then Look, we can plug you. Yes. Uh, Philip, did we just uh, plug organizing as a form of hobby? I think we did. <laughs> um, well that's all i have for this week um anything else you have philip no i think that's it uh do more hobbies <laughs> hobbies are good yes 100 percent uh i can recommend D, D if you're looking for one it's great and and i can recommend legos if you are you know what honestly i don't recommend legos it's fucking expensive only way i can <laughs> afford being in it is because i've been in it since i was six so um, <laughs> pick, pick D, D on a scale of on a scale of of one to magic the gathering how expensive is legos i mean i honestly don't even know because i never got into magic long enough to know how expensive it was but i saw like my friends collections of cards and it seemed like a lot it's expensive <laughs> Like I, I, I could regularly dump thousands of dollars. I, I, I have 
played i'm less serious about it now than i used to be but i have played magic the gathering like at a competitive level uh before and yeah expensive is uh appropriate uh, you can definitely get depending on what format you want to play but decks cost anywhere from several hundred dollars to tens of thousands of dollars depending on what uh what format you want to play if you want to play the oldest formats with all the cards they don't print anymore and are ridiculously overpowered like you know some of them can cost thousands uh but most people play the formats that aren't more expensive and that's more like still several hundred dollars for a deck of cards that you can only play with for a couple of years is is not it's it's a it's a bougie format <laughs> it's a bougie <laughs> hobby i'll say yeah so um find a uh economically reasonable hobby for yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um they are out there um yeah uh, thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful evening, morning, afternoon, or whatever time of day it is. Go out and do a hobby. Thank you.